0: Hey, Pam, I have a question for you.
1: What do you got, Ryan?
0: So to kick off 2021, what's the scariest thing the Loveland City Council can do to us?
1: <laughs> well, I guess they could knock on your door and to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, hi, I'm here to help. I'm from the government. I'm here to help.
0: <laughs> Hello, all, and welcome to The Voice of Loveland, the podcast for IOnLoveland.com. I'm your host, the Loveland paddler, R.D. Kulik, and with me is The person that just really doesn't want the government knocking on her door offering to help because she can do just fine. Thank you very much. And that's the greatest other host, Pam Gross. How are you today, Pam?
1: I'm good, Ryan. Welcome. And yes, it's not just me. I think all people can do better. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we're we're back on our regular schedule after a city council meeting. We record these the day after. So kind of to get an idea of what's going on. And look, it's early January, Pam. It's kind of a, paint by numbers type thing just a few of the regular things they always do and somehow this city council can i don't know when they four years ago they wouldn't say a damn thing or three years ago or whatever they would all be silent now every single one of them has to ask the most inane question ever i would play some of these questions just so you guys can see what we're going through but here's the problem because of the pandemic and everything i watch these through my computer And I'm going to give the city of Loveland a lot of credit. They have a whole new system to make the picture look better. The sound is better. But uh, with new technology comes new problems, Pam. So originally, I was going to kick it off by playing some comments from Councilman Kent Blair and from Vice Mayor Robert Weisgerber, who is still doing this via virtually Zoom. He's not in the meetings. But Pam, the worst thing we can do is have dead air. And that's what it would be, because you can't hear a thing, because... Councilman Blair, I guess, doesn't know how to turn his microphone on because he had to be reminded three times of it. And Vice Mayor Weisgerber, virtually, anytime he speaks now, it's just dead silent. So I'm not going to put the audience through that.
1: No, oh, I think that's nice of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the topic we wanted to cover today, and I'm going to play a very brief comment from uh, Councilman Tim Butler. But the lead up to this is near the end of the council meeting, which would have been on January 12th. City manager David Kennedy went through all of these uh, programs or things they're doing in the Loveland Heights neighborhood. And it has to do with the sale of some land and then some money in these programs that we're going to talk more and more about to, I don't know, help enhance or maintain the look or get rid of some eyesores or things like that. All of these things that the city manager kind of went and I wrote them all down with question marks like, what is this? What is this? And thinking to myself, what's the point of all this? And then Councilman Tim Butler... Made this statement, Dave. What you, what you described essentially is, I guess you call in, in many uh, circumstances the broken windows theory, which has been used so successfully in many urban and suburban areas. So uh, um, I, I'm excited. I, I think it's great for the city, great for uh, uh, for the Heights, and it's uh, it's it's great that we've we've targeted an area and and we're actually going about it and executing it. So congratulations to the CIC. And the chief and and whoever else is involved in the project and the program, and let's hope it it reaps the benefits that it has in so many other locations. All right, Pam, I'm going to start this off by asking you to just, for the benefit of the audience, for the benefit of myself, when Councilman Butler talks about broken windows, what does he mean?
1: So the policy of broken windows, or the broken window policy, was really crime-oriented It was a policy that was kind of came up in the late 60s, early 70s to clean up and address some of the issues that were going on in these kind of rundown, crime riddled places. And the theory is, is that if you leave a broken window, that it leads to even more crime and it leads to even more vandalism and things like that. Whereas if you started cleaning them up and started with something simple like a broken window you could then start cleaning up the entire neighborhood. Is that the best way to say that, I yeah. guess? Yeah. Because if you remember, Rudy Gi- Giuliani, that was a big part of his administration and his policy to clean up New York City. And it was all based on that whole broken window um, theory. I watch uh, Blue Bloods, <laughs> and it was funny because Tom Selleck plays the police chief in Blue Bloods. And one of the things he got into, one of the episodes was they got into this exchange about dropping, the mayor wanted to drop this whole theory of the broken window window policy. And Tom Selleck was talking about how it's good for the police and the community to keep it cleaned up and, and not have it go back to being more crime infested.
0: I'm glad you brought up the Giuliani thing because People that know me and people that know my career and the things that I've worked in, especially in government relations issues, I've worked on a lot of like urban issues. And I know there was in the 90s, the broken windows idea gained a lot of steam because of what Mayor Giuliani did in New York. And but then as time has gone on, people have kind of said, you know, look, maybe the policy doesn't work as well as we think. Maybe there's other factors. And there is a fear that also broken windows led to stop and frisk, which again, There's a whole debate that we can all get into. That's not this show, Pam, because in all honesty, I don't think here in Loveland, I'm worried about meth labs, super, I mean, high levels of crime, things like that. I mean, we just don't have a crime level to the point where we can sit here and debate the merits of broken windows. For Tim Butler to talk about this and made me think, okay, number one, Is the Loveland Heights really that big of a problem that we have to have this kind of policy? And number two, what does this policy mean? And I'm going to start at number two, Pam, because I said at the top here, I'm writing down all these programs like the Heart of the Heights program. And, or even uh, you go back about a year ago, and the fire department was pushing for this residential inspection program where guys, we're just helping you out. We're just going to go and see the houses that or the, the places that don't look good that have broken windows, and the government's going to come and fix it. Pam, number one, who is fixing this? And number two, what's the parameters? What's the rules? Uh,
1: those are all good mm-hmm. questions. And I'm glad that you, you talked about why is Tim Butler talking about broken window policy? Because as you said, broken window policy was centered on on crime. It was centered on drug-riddled, crime-filled communities. The last time I checked, is the Heights one of those communities? I mean, if it is, it's news to me because I haven't seen it in any city manager report. You know, I haven't seen it in, in terms of the police chief, you know, saying anything about all of this. So I think those are very valid questions as well. Who came, why? Who came up with this? And where is the rules and the regulations and the structure to this particular program? It's called the Housing Rehabilitation Grant Program. And yes, Congress... Congress. I keep mm-hmm. doing that. <laughs> yes. Council passed an ordinance Well, Pam, honestly,
0: council is about as effective as Congress is right now. So it's... Well, uh... <laughs> that, is, that
1: is pretty true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> the thing is, they passed an ordinance to have funds of property that is sold up in the Heights to remain in the CIC's hands so that they could, and they created this housing rehabilitation grant program so that they could dole out money to people who live up in the Heights who wanted to do improvements and things to their homes. All that sounds noble, but the truth is, is number one, the public doesn't know anything about this program. I mean, you and I follow council. You and I read their website as, you know, Mm -hmm. as terrible as it is to navigate. We still go on there and we pull up things. I don't know anything about this program. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know who's eligible. I don't know how much. And isn't it funny how you started the program with talking about how council members like to talk now? Okay, well, tell us about this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> we're operating in the dark. And that and that's the point is that, you know, for all of this promised transparency, here is a great example of something that you guys think is really great. Well, then tell me about the program and tell me why it's so great.
0: Well, so I'm going to I have a lot of personal experience with this. Like I said, not just from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I've said many times on this podcast, the first house my wife and I owned together was a condo in Walnut Hills. And if you know the Cincinnati area pretty well, you know two things about Walnut Hills. You know the high school's really good. I I believe there's an alumnus on this podcast from that high school, Pam. (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of as a side note, Walnut Hills High School. It's a great school. school. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Walnut Hills High School's not even in Walnut Hills. It's not even in the neighborhood of Walnut Hills. But the second thing that we know about Walnut Hills is it's got a reputation of being a pretty high crime area.
1: Actually, when we were in high school, we were, we were not allowed to leave campus. Yes. At lunchtime.
0: I was part, I've been part of this most of my adult life, this kind of renewing the urban core idea. And the idea behind renewing the urban core, and you use a lot of broken windows policies to do this, is you don't want things like ca- uh, check cashing places. In, you don't want tons of those. You don't want tons of like laundromats. You don't want tons of places that are very low revenue type of places that attract people who and I'm not saying laundromats attract more desperate people but look the data spreads out to saying that check cashing places and stuff like that too you don't want a lot of empty lots pam you don't want a lot of empty buildings <laughs> you're uh,
1: describing lovely madeira road exactly
0: that's the <laughs> issue here is that we're the things with broken windows comes about because of neglect and that neglect starts at the top and look Loveland is not a crime-ridden place, okay? It it just is not. So you're creating this program for the Heights, and this is, I got away from it, but I'm going to say, there's another name for broken windows. There's a there's a much, as a lot of people might say, a worse name for it. It's called gentrification. And this is what we did in Walnut Hills. And the idea was, you take these nice pieces of architecture, these nice roads, or where we lived was right off of Eden Park, so very... Great views of the city, all this, or great views of the river, and all this stuff. You take these areas that can be valuable, and you move in new people, people who have incomes that are higher, people that are going to provide more taxes. You bring in new businesses that hire more professional people, salaried people. If you look at what Tim Butler said, Pam, that is a complete indictment of what they have done for the last four years, because they haven't brought in anything new. They've created apartments, or the high-end stuff they're creating is dense uh, residential area right off of downtown on Route 48, even though the people were way against it. They only focus on downtown with low-income type business or low-revenue-generating businesses like bars, and now they're investing in the Heights to, I don't know, gentrify it? I mean, Pam, I would argue what Councilman Butler said is they need this policy because they have failed the city by not trying to look at the whole city and what benefits us.
1: Well, I think you've got a lot of things in (laughs) there and I'm glad you used the word gentrification because to be honest with you, Ryan, that is actually what is going on here. Mm -hmm. If you look at recently and in the last, I think it's been in the last four or five months, the CIC, number one, the city owned some property and some parcels up there in the Heights. Okay. One was, I think it was Highland Park parcel, and then I think there was, and then the other one was a Robinson Park parcel. Both of those parcels have been sold. What's kind of interesting about this, and this is why I think gentrification is the right word in in terms of what is actually going on up there, is that the people who, number one, the parcel, the, the original, the one parcel, the Highland Park parcel was sold to a development group. They're called Parkside Development Group. And they bought the parcel and they want to build um, housing up there. Now, when you look at, there's a design and a concept that is included in the CIC packets and everyone can go and and look at what the conceptual design is. But they're basically, they look like little townhomes. They're connected. They're not single family. They're connected. So they look kind of like townhomes. And what was interesting is I was reading the council packet was they talked about how the development company bought the one parcel and then a few months later they bought the second parcel. That was the one that was the Robinson Park. And that second parcel, and this is a quote from the city's own memorandum, it said that this allows for the expansion of the proposed residential development. So now, all of a sudden, it's not this little couple of little townhomes connected. Now they own even more property, and now they're able to make it and expand it and make it even bigger. Now, keep in mind, it doesn't look like the single-family housing that is up there in the currently up there in the heights. And a lot of people who would look at that, when you look at that, that is that is the start of gentrification.
0: It absolutely is. I I go back to. Myself, who I'm in my mid 40s, so this but this concept of the rebirth of the urban core is definitely within my lifetime, within my professional lifetime, and that's where you've seen the gentrification of Over the Rhine. That's where you've seen the this ongoing gentrification of Walnut Hills. And it, look, I was uh, proud. My wife and I were both in the Enquirer as part of like a marketing thing when they built this place, and our place in Walnut Hills, Pam, was gorgeous, but you still, there's a process you have to go through. You have to look at all these derelict buildings. You have to take them down. You have to figure out, you need to have a grand idea of how one piece of land can affect the entire community. What's going on with our Loveland City Council, which does not have these same problems, okay? This is a nice neighborhood, but they're using these concepts. They're using their own failure, honestly, Pam, in that Downtown's not generating any money. They can't get any real housing development off the ground. I mean, they've got their their latest unicorn, this uh, this Homerama thing that they're going to be building in a few years. But we're making no money from this and spending millions of dollars on a sewer line, hoping we'll get it back one day. And now in the Heights, they're creating, in you know, my opinion, they have a preferred developer that they're working behind closed doors to create a certain type of development for that area while at the same time creating these shadow regulations through the rental inspection program or through their hearts of the heights or whatever these things are. Because we don't, Pam, not only do we not know what constitutes uh, outside of our regular building codes, what constitutes a something out of, I, I can't find the right word for it. What constitutes a, Something you can get fined for, I guess is what I'm saying. And now the city's saying, but don't worry, we're going to fine you, but we're going to give you all this money. But taxpayer. we're going to give you, yeah, exactly,
1: we're so, going to give you taxpayer money. So
0: we don't know what these regulations are. It, it's along with the same thing with the historic group. You know, they're creating these regulations for a historic thing, but it's also being run by a bunch of unelected people. Look, it might sound good on paper, but Pam, you and I, who are not benefiting from their, their boneheaded moves downtown, and who I can't get money to fix up my deck or my house or anything through this program. Only certain people can. It seems like the city council is really dropping the ball on the betterment of all of Loveland.
1: Well, Brian, I think in regards to whether you think this program is noble or not, whether you agree with gentrification or not, I think what you have to really look at here is that we don't have any information in regards to what this program is, what its goals are, who created it? What are the rules? How much money you can get? But I want to backtrack a little because I want to kind of fill in everybody from the things that we do know about it. Okay. The parcels that have been sold, there's probably, in terms of this money remaining in the CIC to be used for this grant program, is probably around, I would say, a little over $100,000. Probably. What I found kind of interesting was the second parcel that had just been recently sold, I think it was sold in December. They got $81,000 for that particular piece of parcel. What was interesting, though, is when you read the memorandum on it, it even states on there, the city states on there, that there was a lot of interest in this parcel. I found that interesting that, lo and behold, it manages to go to that Parkside Development Group, of which we I don't know anything about this group. But what did some of the other, why was there so much interest in it? What were some of the ideas that those people had? I'd be kind of curious, and the city didn't even explore that. And if they did, I certainly don't know how they did, because there's no information that they did. You look at the CIC minutes, doesn't look like there's lots of conversation in terms of spe- you know what went on in terms of what they want this program to be, what it's supposed to accomplish. I mean, the point is, is that there's more questions than there are answers. But at the end of the day, what you have is taxpayer dollars. Because those pieces of land that were sold by the city were bought with city funds where they were bought by tax by taxpayer dollars. And so when they sold them, that money is taxpayer dollars. The taxpayers had no say so in in the fact that we have a 100 grand here that's going into this program. But we were never asked, do we really want this program? And what you're now doing is you are having a direct infusion of taxpayer money for the benefit of a few, because it doesn't apply to the city as a whole. It only applies to the Heights. Now, Ryan, I don't know about you, but when I drive around the city of Loveland, yeah, the Heights is a little rundown. Guess what? So are a lot of other neighborhoods in the city of Loveland. So the point is, is why didn't you have a housing rehabilitation grant program for the city of loveland
0: there are responsibilities as a homeowner and there are punishments or consequences if you do not follow those responsibilities if i let my grass grow too long the city's going to let me know and if i don't do anything about it they're going to cut the grass and they're going to send me a bill and if i don't pay that bill i'm going to get a lien or something put on my mortgage the thing is there is already a process in place they are creating a new process They are creating more of a process. They're telling you, well, it's we want to maintain our oldest neighborhood. We want it to kind of have the same look and feel that it always has. Okay, look, I've made my point clear on historic preservation I don't think is— that bit it should not it's, it should not be governing what we're doing in Loveland. But of course, we have this historic committee who they've been meeting for three years, Pam, and we still don't know the borders or the regulations because <laughs> it seems like th- through all the illegal meetings they do or all this other stuff, everything keeps getting replaced. But if that's your group's goal and your goal is to maintain this neighborhood, then why is the Heights not part of this historic, you know, preservation but- side?
1: And that's a good question.
0: And and by, the, and by the way, that's the efficiency of a bureaucracy. Well, exactly. But city manager yeah. Kennedy even talked about when he said we had to be part of this group that it was. And I will never forget. He talked about broken windows. He talked about there were some in the, the neighborhood he used to live in that there were areas where sometimes there'd be a boarded up window and you could use grant money to help fix it. You could use state, federal money, whatever it is. So. Look, you have your solution right here without creating all these new shadow organizations or shadow groups. You have your historic committee. Make the Heights part of your historic group. And this is the last thing I want to say on it, Pam, is, look, we talk about how our council, the reason why they don't care about Loveland Madeira Road. And look, I know for a fact, especially Councilman Tim Butler is going to be knocking on everyone's door because he's running for reelection this year, by the way, people. And he's going to say, oh, well, we're working on it now. That's just empty campaign rhetoric. They waited until it was an election year to do the master plan so they could tell you that they're working on it. So it doesn't matter the time they wasted the last four years. They need to waste another four years by basically using empty campaign rhetoric. But besides that, there's a member, a former member of council who's a big cheerleader to this current council. And this person lives in an alternate reality, Pam, that no matter what these people do, it's all good and pure even to the point he spoke to council and said something about like, Councilman Bateman's right. The garage has an infrastructure program. I will ask this person the same thing I asked uh, Councilman Bateman. Describe the difference between an infrastructure program and an economic development program, because I want to know what you think. But anyways, he talks about they don't waste money, they don't do this. This person proudly always <laughs> claims that they are a lifelong living member of the Heights. So that this person lobby Dave Kennedy? Is basically for myself over here off of South Lebanon or UPAM in Claremont County is the only way our government's going to represent us is if we go into the city manager's office and demand he create a program just for us. This, to me, outside of the, the why, is who? Who does this government listen to anymore? That's all I got.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, though, what you also described, if, if you go there and you lobby and say this is what I want, you have to remember, this is taxpayers' dollars. This is taxpayers' money. One of the things that I found funny when I was reading that, that going back to that memorandum, one of the things that they, they said that they wrote in there, the city wrote, they talked about how this was really a great public and private investment in Loveland Heights. Well, I read that and I thought, you know what, as a former member of council, I was involved in a public-private development. And the public-private development was the Starbucks development. And it is a good example of public and private investment. But the difference with this, with the Starbucks, is we didn't, the taxpayers did not give any a direct infusion of cash to the Starbucks developer. What happened was, is that there were zoning codes that were looked at and that were tweaked or... To fit a design or something like that—that's the role of a public, you know. That—that's the role of a public investment.
0: Yeah, it's it's you know, spurring development. You wave, you yeah.
1: waive, you waive fees, you waive, you do those kind of things. It's not taking proceeds and actual cash and giving it away, and that's what this is. So, uh, with all due respect, that's not a public and private investment. And the truth is, Ryan. If the Heights needs to be rehabilitated, then it should be done by private investment, private money, and the public's role can be, and the government's role can be, is to maybe look at it and where a great example, where we have a Loveland-Madeira overlay. We have zoning requirements on Loveland-Madeira Road that are routinely not only ignored, changed, accommodated for particular people. You can look at the laundromat. Mm -hmm. Anyone who goes by there at night will attest to the fact that it looks like a discotheque. (laughs) That is not what was envisioned under the zoning overlay, but clearly they got what they need, what they wanted. Point is, is if you want to look at this private investment up in the Heights and you want to clean it up fine, then let the zoning rules, you know, be changed or accommodate that investment. But don't take our hard-earned taxpayer dollars and put it into a program for the benefit of a few.
0: Well, Pam, this all comes down to I'm going to I'm going to play the comments of uh, Councilman Kent Blair from almost two years ago now. If what has happened through the policies of the Mayor Bailey administration and the decisions of Vice Mayor Weisgerber, Councilman Kent or Councilman Tim Butler, Councilman Ted Phelps and Councilman Neil Laurie in their tenure, if it leads us to having to institute broken windows policies, well, we got here, Pam, because in the words of Councilman Kent Blair, this is how they make decisions.
1: We, we've we been talking about this in meetings and in the hallways and over
0: pizza for months.
1: Ryan, I, I think the thing here is is that we, we need to, first off, we have not just in the city of Loveland, but in 2021, not just in the city of Loveland. We have lots and lots of important local elections coming up. And I think it's important that we get past the personality of politics. And I think we need to start focusing on policies and good governance. And I think the other thing that we need to be very mindful of is that we need to live in the truth. Facts matter. And we as voters, as residents and as voters, we need to start paying attention to the facts. If you're going to have a growing and strong community, then we need strong, solution-oriented representatives. And honestly, Ryan, we do not have that currently. And we need to change that.
0: Yeah, well, with all that being said, the Voice of Loveland podcast for IonLoveland.com is a production of Ion Community. The episode was written, engineered, mixed, and technologically driven by Pam Gross and Ryan Kulik. And somebody reminded me, I forgot to give my father-in-law credit last week. So the music last weekend (laughs) this week is by my father-in-law, Jared Sante. Um, He wasn't the one that reminded me. Somebody else did. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I agree with you, Pam. And guys, this is, uh, I know last uh, podcast we said, I know it's early to be talking about the election. Well, it's a week later. And next time, it's going to be two weeks later. And soon, it's going to be too late to talk about it. So yes, yes, we we deserve better, and we deserve better leadership.
1: We do. And again, and I think this is going to be our public service announcement for from now on. If you want and have an interest in running for council, we need you. Step up to the plate and serve your community. So with that said everyone. Thanks again for listening. Please be informed, be involved, be influential.